This message was recorded during a conference for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. We're going to have a ton of fun this weekend, lots of fun. But one of the things I enjoy the most is have, having unhurried time to fellowship, to hear God's Word, to study God's Word, um, to spend time allowing God to teach us from His Word. And I'm very thankful for Steve Whitaker coming back and agreeing to be with us once again. So we're surprised. It's funny, too, when I invite him, he's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, oh, okay, great, yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> so thank you, it's so kind of you to come. Is this your third year in a row being our speaker? So teaching us through God's word. Yes, and um, we're just, I, there's something about having somebody come back who we know, who participates that blesses us because we feel like we get to know you. We're getting to know your family. Thanks for coming with him this weekend. We're thankful you guys are here and keeping him in line and all that kind of stuff, you know. But uh, thank you for all the time you put studying God's word, preparing these sermons so we can understand God's word. So thank you so much. It's very kind of you to do that. Can we welcome Mr. Whitaker as he comes to teach us? For the record, I was not just like, oh, sure, when Mike asked me to come. I was like, dude, that'd be awesome. And then he said, would you teach on the book of Revelation? And I said, dude, that'd be awesome. So if you didn't know that already, we are going to be looking at the book of Revelation this week. So you can, you can start turning there to Revelation chapter 1. I just want to begin by saying thank you for having us, letting us join you. We are from Kentucky. We're like another state away from here. So we are the foreigners, and you have welcomed us into your state and into your retreat and into your hearts. And what Mike said about coming back three years, well, I feel that way about you guys. I come back, it's like a happy reunion. I'm seeing old friends again, and, and we've made memories together. And some of you have hurt me on the field, and that's, um, I'm, I'm grateful that, that, well, maybe it won't happen again. So I'm here with my four children, Jack and Jude and Tori and Sophie, and so they are thrilled to be here. Jack and Jude have been here the last two years. Tori and Sophie, it's their first year, and already, thank you so much for making us feel so welcome and so at home. So we're going to talk about the book of Revelation. I'm going to preach through, not the entire book, because it's 22 chapters long, but some chapters from the book of Revelation. And maybe that's not what you would expect for a youth retreat. I was on vacation with my family last week, just outside of Washington, D.C. Like, yeah, next week we're going to this youth retreat. They're like, oh, what are you speaking on? It's a revelation. I said, oh, okay. And um, they're like, good luck with that. I hope, what, what, they're trying to imagine, like, what, what is he going to say to a bunch of young people from the book of Revelation? Well, revelation for young people, for students, for parents, for the church. It's for everybody. Now look, I understand why people would ask that question. I understand why people might be confused or surprised that we would look at the book of Revelation in a setting like this. That does seem a little weird. Revelation is a strange book and this seems like a strange setting to talk about it. I think it would make a lot of sense if we said, you know, let's Let's look at like the Sermon on the Mount or maybe Matthew 28 or John 3.16. Let's look at Proverbs. We, well, we did that last year. Let's look at Psalms. That, th those things are easy. That makes a lot of sense. But our fearless retreat leader, 
Mike Pluniak, asked me to speak on Revelation because he asked for Revelation. He wanted to do Revelation. I think because he's a wise pastor and he knows that young people need the book of Revelation. Now, you could, you could back up and say, well, it's in the Bible. We need the whole Bible. So, you know, therefore, it's not like, that's not like a tough logical puzzle to figure out. We need it. But I hope that by the time we are done, you will see young people Parents and the church, we need the book of Revelation. It needs to go to work in our lives. It needs to shape how we view the world and how we understand everything that we see happening around us. There's a couple of reasons, particularly that young people need the book of Revelation. So I'm just giving you kind of a brief introduction to where we're going here and why this is important. Number one, Revelation tells young people what the world is like now. It tells young people, it tells parents, it tells the church, it tells us what the world is really like right now. Many people think that the book of Revelation is about, it's just about end times. It's about this, uh, the apocalypse and, and crazy things that are happening. And, and yes, it does tell us some things about the future, but it is primarily about these days that we live in. It's primarily about what is happening today and this week and this year. It's about everything that is happening between Jesus' first coming, His life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and His second coming where He returns to earth. The book of Revelation is about everything that happens in that time frame. And young people, students who are here, as you are growing towards adulthood, we want you to be prepared to know what this world that you are preparing to go into is really like. And the book of Revelation is going to show us. Now, there are all kinds of voices and media outlets and movies and TV shows and talking heads on the internet that want to dictate to you what your vision should be of what the world is really like. And Revelation is God's word telling us, no, no. This is how things really are. So, if you ever thought that it would be fun to live in a fantasy world, I know many of you are readers. I've asked you at previous uh, advanced uh, retreats, what are you reading? And you tell me about books you're reading. I know that many of you love to read. Some of you like to read fantasy. If you've ever thought that it would be fun to live in a fantasy world, like Narnia or like Middle Earth, Revelation is going to show us, well, you do. You do live in a fantastic world with a dragon, with fantastic beasts, with angels and demons, with cosmic battles. This is, there, there is in this book massive worldwide calamity. And there is a victorious king on a battle horse whose sword is red with the blood of his enemies, who has conquered all those who would oppose him. And so Revelation tells us what the world is really like. And it tells us how to really live in the real world. So the second reason we need Revelation, again, this is all just kind of getting into this, all right? I, don't, I have actual points we'll get to in a minute. But Revelation tells young people, it's going to show you how to really live in the world the way it really is. You see, Revelation shows us that we have an enemy. We have an enemy in this world. And sometimes he takes the shape of a dragon. He has two weapons, two strategies 
for this battle that he's going to wage against us. He will either try to oppress the people of God or he will try to entice the people of God. You know what those two words mean? To oppress, he's going to make war on them and try to beat them down. Or to entice them is try to lure them to try to suck them away from Jesus Christ. And so the book of Revelation equips us for both of those battle strategies. It helps us to see what the dragon wants to do to us. Revelation protects us from losing sight of God when the world entices us. And Revelation protects us from losing faith in God when the world oppresses us. Now maybe some of you are thinking, that sounds like some adult-level stuff. Oppression, tyranny, dragons. (laughs) What are we talking about here? Well, what about for young people? Well, I think, ask yourself, have, have you ever been enticed by this world that we live in? Is there any kind of ungodliness that you have ever found attractive? The devil uses the world as bait to hide the hook. He tries to lure us away from the faith with all sorts of attractions and distractions that are only a thin, glamorous poster over what's really going on. Or maybe do you feel like the world is trying to oppress us? Have you felt that? Have you felt that more in the last year or two? It is accelerating. You might be more or less aware of this depending on your age and your situation. But I'm sure you know that opposition to the church and to the gospel in Jesus Christ, it is accelerating in our culture. There is growing opposition to the gospel. And soon, young people, you will be adults And you need to be equipped to fight this battle with faith. We need you to join us in this battle for the faith. And so Revelation helps us to not be surprised when that opposition comes. And so the book of Revelation is just what young people need because this book explains the world we live in and it helps us to live well in the world as it really is. It gives us eyes to see and ears to hear, and minds to understand. And it protects us from being confused, from being led astray, from losing heart and giving up. Did you know that all of that is in the book of Revelation? Did you know that that's what Revelation can do for you? That's what we're going to see over the next couple of days. And tonight we're going to begin in chapter 1. And we're going to see from chapter 1 four ways to really live in the real world from the book of Revelation. So I'm going to read the entire first chapter. It's 20 verses. It won't take that long. If you have your Bible, I want you to just follow along. Look at the page. I want you to, we, we want to take in God's word with all the senses he's given us. Right? I want you to hear it. I want you to see it. First, I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to read. I'm going to ask for God's help. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that instructs us, that teaches us that shows us, that gives us eyes to see what the world is really like and how to really live in the world as it really is. So God, we pray today that you would help us to see with our eyes and hear with our ears and set our hearts on all that you show to us. Help us to understand that we might live well for your glory. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who we love with all our hearts. Help us to love him even more. Amen. All right, here we go. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him 
to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of God. Wow. We just read the first chapter of John's Apocalypse. There is a lot that we could say just about this chapter. And there's 21 more of them after this. This book is going to teach us how to live well in the world as it really is. And there are four ways for young people, I think, well, there's probably more than that, but I'm going to give you four ways 
for young people to live well in the world as it really is from the first chapter of Revelation. Number one, Revelation teaches young people to obey the commands of God. Revelation teaches young people to obey the command of God. Now let's just let me tell you how we get there. The first word of the book of Revelation is the word revelation. Okay, in English, actually, it's the. But really, the first word, as it was originally written, is the word revelation. Sometimes people refer to it as the book of revelations with an S. And if you do that, that's okay. I'm not going to be like the word police on you, all right? So if, if you've always called it that, if you still call it that, if your uncle calls it that, that's okay. It's fine. We know what you mean. But it is the revelation. The revelation. What that tells us is that this collection of, of letters and visions and explanation, all of it tells one big story. It's all one message that God wants us to get. It is the revelation. One thing that was revealed to John. Something that was shown to this man. And this man is John. John, the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, the beloved apostle. This guy wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's a sizable portion of the New Testament. Not bad for a guy who began life as a humble fisherman along the Sea of Galilee. And he received this vision and wrote it while on an island called Patmos. He was in exile. He was a, a political prisoner. Pa Patmos was like a prison island. You got sent there if the emperor didn't like you. And he did it. So John was there, finishing out his years on the Isle of Patmos. He's right at the, the end of the first century. This was written in the late 90s, maybe 97, 98, somewhere right in there. So this is more than 60 years after Jesus had died. John's an old man now. He's got to be in his 80s. And God gave him a fantastic vision, and he wrote it down for us. Now, Revelation feels weird doesn't it? Okay, I'm just going to give you this right up front. Revelation does. It feels weird. You start reading it, you're just cruising through, you know, maybe you go on a Bible reading plan or something, and you know, you read some Matthew, you get some Psalms in you. Maybe First Samuel, it's not too bad. It's history, it's stories. We kind of know how that works. And then you, sooner or later, you got to read Revelation. You're like, what is going on here? This is crazy. There's all these stories, and it's like, what happens when? And is it one long story in a row, or does it circle back over itself? I think it's that one. And so it takes a lot of figuring out. There's really nothing else in modern literature that we have that's quite like this. And hardly anything else in the Bible like this. Right? The second half of Daniel and the book of Zechariah is really all you get in the Bible that's like this. We're just way more comfortable, aren't we? Like, give me the Gospels. Like, I like red letters. That's great. Jesus said it. Okay. Uh, Psalms, easy. Proverbs, those are great. Give me history anywhere in the Bible. That, that all makes sense, right? We know what to do with that. But we come to Revelation, and it just feels weird. But just because it's weird to us doesn't mean that it's weird. All right? And it doesn't mean that it's weird to the people who first read it. So if I handed you a book, and you opened up this book, and on each page of the book, the pages were divided into little squares. And there were little drawings of people that had little, little bubbles coming out of their mouths with little captions. 
you would know what kind of literature that is, right? You know a comic book when you see it, and you know how to read it. You, you know how a comic book works. You're looking for a punchline. You're expecting to laugh a little bit, right? That's the kind of literature that you're familiar with. Well, when John wrote this, uh, the, the, the book of Revelation, it's a kind of literature called an apocalypse. And it wasn't the only one floating around in the ancient world. In fact, there were lots of these. And so when John wrote it, people were like, oh, it's an apocalypse. We know what to do with this. We know how to read it. So just because it's weird to us doesn't mean it's weird to them. We just need to learn how to read it. Apocalypses were common in the ancient world. Apocalyptic literature typically had otherworldly visions of heavenly scenes with angelic guides taking somebody around, taking the narrator around, explaining things to him and vivid depictions of battles between good and evil. People often think of the book as, of Revelation as though it were just a guide to the end times. Uh, sometimes people think you could just lay it out and chart it on a timeline. Be like, yeah, you got Jesus here, and then you got these trumpets here, and the, then the bowls happen, and then you know, there's this beast and uh, the 666 guy, and then later heaven, and that's great. Uh, and then we just got to figure out, you know, just put dates on it, and that all makes sense. But that's not how the book of Revelation works. It's cyclical. It tells the same story over and over again. And each time it pivots a little bit and pivots a little bit more and looks at that story again from a different angle, again and again and again and again. So it gives us different perspectives on the same events, different perspectives on the world as it really is right now. Now, you think, Steve, it sounds like you can kind of geek out on this sort of thing. And it's true, I can. I can, I can tell you a lot more about apocalyptic literature probably than you want to know. But Revelation isn't just for the kind of people who geek out on this sort of thing. It is for every Christian. Okay? It's, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The very first words. It is a book about Jesus. It is from Jesus, and it is about Jesus. And it is about the things, verse 1, it says, that must soon take place. He says in verse 19, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Don't you want to know, what is going to come after this? What's going to happen next in the world? Like 2020 was rough. 2021 has been kind of a rocky start, too. What is 2022 going to be like? Where is this going? Right? We want to know what comes next. He said to John, write what is about to take place. Write the thing that comes next. Revelation gives us a picture of what is coming. And this is a book about obedience. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Because in the ancient world, most people couldn't read, so they would send a book like this to a church. Somebody would stand in front, and they would read it, and people would listen, and that's how they got their Bible. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and blessed are those who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Whatever else, here's what this verse teaches us, whatever else the book of Revelation might be about, it is about obedience. Whatever else it is about, it is about obedience to Christ. By the power of Christ, that is the way to be victorious in the battle. Whatever else the book is about, it's about obedience. This surprised me the first time that I realized this. Do you, do you think about the book of Revelation as being written to help you to obey? But here's what it says. 
Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear and those who keep what is written in it. Hear and keep. Every listener to the book of Revelation, every reader in the book of Revelation has these responsibilities. Hear it and keep it. Hearing and keeping. It doesn't sound like much, right? Hear and keep. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I hear stuff all the time. I get in the car, the radio comes on. I keep stuff. I try not to lose my keys, right? Like we, we hear and keep all the time. But no, this means more than that. In the Bible, hearing means paying careful attention so that something gets in us and shapes our souls. There is a lot of noise coming at you all the time. You got your AirPods, you got your music, you got social media, there is, there is advertising that is targeted at you, trying to get and keep your attention. And John wants to cut through all this noise so that you hear the message of this book. To hear is more than a physical process. It's not just vibrations on your eardrums, what's happening to you right now. To hear in the Bible means to listen, to understand, and to believe. And not only do you need to hear, we're called to keep. This means more than just don't lose it. Keep your bandana, don't let somebody steal. No, it means more than that. In the Bible, to keep something means to do it, to live by it, to let that shape you, your priorities, your loves, your affections, your desires. There's a lot of ways that this could work. You are keeping the message of this book when you obey God in any form. Anything that He has called you to do, to obey your parents, to be patient with your siblings, when you choose to take the truth, when you take, tell the truth, when you take initiative to serve around the house, any way that God has called you to obey, then you are hearing and keeping the words of this book. And if we only look at what we can see, here's the thing, when we talk about obedience, if you're just working on the level of what you can see, what you think about, well, obedience, there's nothing like exciting about it. It seems weak, it seems pointless, it seems like a drag. But in Revelation, obedience is the way to victory in a cosmic war. It's the way to overcome. Obedience is a weapon against the enemy. The world that's out there, our culture that we live in, thinks this word obedience is stupid and misguided and restrictive and oppressive and tyrannical and that any, any mention of the word obedience should just be thrown off. Get rid of it. Get it out of my sight. I don't even want to see it. The culture is like, get, get that away from me. We live in a culture that prizes independence the prizes do your own thing make your own rules on every possible level of human living we're told again and again that if you if you obey if you do what is written in god's word you are being downtrodden you are being restricted you'll have to give up the things that you love you will miss out on all the fun your parents are so strong that's not what God's word says. This says, blessed is the one who hears and who keeps what is written in it. Blessed is a complex word. This word blessed, it means to flourish. It means to live a prosperous life. Live life to the fullest. It, it, at its simplest form, it means to be happy. And who doesn't want that? When you see that word blessed in your Bible, you can think to yourself, happy, flourishing, prospering by the grace of God. 
So when you choose to obey God's word and not lie, or not cheat at school, or not look with lust, or not hang out with fools, or not do things in secret, God says, you will be blessed. Now maybe some of you don't want to obey. There's a lot of people here. And i got to think that in a group this size, there are some of you who feel like authority is the problem. Being told to obey from God's word, like, what? I, come on, I want to just do what I want to do. You probably know who you are. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you right now. Maybe you don't like being told how you should live. You want that independence. You want to call the shots. You want to make decisions for your own life and do things that you think are fun, pleasurable, good, wise, that lead towards the objectives that you have for what you think is a good life. You want to do it your way. If that's you, God is calling you to repentance. God is calling you to turn away from your arrogance and your stubbornness and to submit yourself and obey God's word. Revelation is for you. And this book is going to give you some very vivid pictures of what happens when people don't obey and what happens when they do. Maybe some of you feel like, yeah, this obedience, like, gosh, I've tried, but it doesn't work. Maybe you feel like you've tried it and failed. You've made effort after effort after effort, and you fell into sin again. You were disrespectful to your mom again. You were selfish with your siblings again. You fell into lust again. You lied again. You tried to impress your, your friends for no good reason again. It just doesn't work. You keep trying to do the right thing, and you keep messing up, and you think, how, how, how can I do this? How can I obey? Why did God let me fail and sin again? Well, Revelation is for you. And this book is calling you to fresh strength, to depend on Him by His Holy Spirit, not on your own strength, but on God. And there may be some of you, there may be some of you who long to obey and work hard to obey, but, feel, but fail sometimes and feel a lot of guilt and condemnation about that. All you can think about is the ways that you've fallen short. And gosh, you just you want to do it. You want to do it right. You want to obey. You want to follow God. Revelation is for you too. God wants to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. So we need to remember that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Victory only comes through Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes, then that actually leads into the second way that God calls us through Revelation to live well in the world as it really is. Secondly, Revelation teaches young people to receive the love of God. Revelation teaches young people to receive the love of God. Look at verse 4. John here, he's writing a letter, right? John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. John is writing a letter. It's a letter that will get sent around to these seven churches. If you put them on a map, they actually make kind of a circle. There were roads that went around, and so they're in a particular order. This is the way that if somebody was carrying a letter from one city to the next, he would have gone in this order as they're written here. And these were real churches with real Christians in them. Some of these churches were healthy, happy churches. And some of these churches were, were sick, dying. Some of them were threatened by false teaching. Some of them were tempted to, aban to abandon the faith. And John has a message for all of them. 
he writes to all of these churches. And these seven churches that he writes to in chapters 2 and 3, they represent every kind of church that's ever existed in the world. And here's what he says. First, he addresses them. He says, grace to you. Grace to you. From who? From the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And he says, to him be glory and dominion forever. One of the things we're going to find is that over and over, John turns our attention to worship. See that little phrase, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever? Pops up all the time in the book of Revelation. This is a worshipful book. It's a noisy book. It's a musical book. After Psalms, the book of Revelation has more songs in it than any other book by far in the Bible. And he deserves worship. John, right from the beginning of this book, is saying, look, God deserves worship. Here's why in verse 5. To him who loves us. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire book of Revelation. I think about this verse all the time. Just think about how simple it is and how profound it is. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus loves you. That is a profound but simple, but profound, but simple, but profound point. The more you think about it, the simpler it is. But the more you think about it, the more profound and the deeper it is. Jesus loves you. To Him who loved us. To Him who loved us. Do you think about this very often? That Jesus loves you. Think about all that love entails. Care and attention and nearness and sacrifice and encouragement and help. Jesus loves you. And here's how he shows it. He frees us from our sins by his blood. Throughout the Bible, but especially in the book of Revelation, sin is a tyrant. It enslaves people and it keeps them from doing God's will. But those who come to Jesus are set free from their sins. And here's what that means. He freed us from our sins by his blood. I'm going to give you a little bit of theology right here. Three words that start with P. Theologians Preachers, we love to do this sort of thing. I didn't make this up. Theologians talk about this all the time. They talk about the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. They talk about sin. There's penalty for it. There's power in it. And there's the presence of it. And Jesus came to set us free from all three of those things. He came to set us free from the penalty of sin. There is a penalty for sin. Sin is wrong. Sin is against God. God will punish sin. There's a penalty that must be paid, and somebody is going to pay that penalty. It should be every one of us. Every one of us deserves to die for our sins. Our sins against God are so wrong, and God is so perfect and so holy, and so without sin, He must and He will punish sin. Somebody is going to pay for every sin that was ever committed. But Jesus loved you and freed you from the penalty of sin. If you are a Christian, he took it. He took all that penalty so that you don't have to pay a single bit of it. He also freed us from the power of sin. The power of sin has been broken. Sin, by itself, when it's in somebody's heart, is powerful. 
It controls a person. It directs a person. It leads a person away from God, away from godliness, away from everything that is good and right and holy in the world. And Jesus loved you. And if you are a Christian, he freed you from the power of sin. Sin no longer has mastery over you. If you are a Christian, the power of sin in your heart has been broken. So now you really can change to be more and more like Jesus Christ. What about the presence of sin? Jesus loves you and has freed you from the presence of sin. But not yet. <laughs> He's going to. The presence of sin is still with us, isn't it? I think if you've been alive for like 10 minutes, you know that. There are times I have sinned, you have sinned. You know there's times you have done wrong. Your conscience tells you that. There's that little voice in your head that's like, no, that was wrong. You should not have done that. You might remember things. I remember things from years and years ago. Little things and big things, all sorts of things that I did wrong. And I'm aware that, you know what, I've sinned today. I sinned yesterday. I sinned every day because the presence of sin is still here. But Jesus loved you. And he is going to free you from the presence of sin by his blood. And before advance is over, we will look at what the world will be like when the presence of sin has been removed. And Jesus loves all those he came to save. And so if you are, let's think about those, those three people I mentioned, three kinds of people I mentioned a minute ago. If you are one of those people who doesn't want to obey, you just think, you know, no, I want to do my own thing. Your sin is racking up a penalty. It's like charging a giant battery that is going to be unleashed in a fierce bolt of lightning of God's wrath. That penalty must be paid. It will be paid by somebody. And it can be paid by Jesus Christ or it can be paid by you. If you repent and turn to the one who loves you, he will free you from the penalty of your sin. Maybe you're in that second category. Maybe you feel you, you want to do this, but you just, you, you fail. You just feel like you've tried. It just doesn't work. You keep failing. Well, Revelation helps to know that if you come to Christ, he has, free, he has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He has set you free from the power of sin. And you can now begin to change and be more and more like Jesus Christ. And discipleship is about learning from your parents and other mature and godly Christians how to walk in that grace. Or maybe you're in that third category. Maybe you're one of those people who really longs to obey, but man, your conscience is just on you. And yeah, maybe you would even admit that in the grand scheme of things, your sins maybe aren't that bad compared to, it's not murder or something, but you're leaning in. You're like, I want to obey, and I'm, gosh, I keep tripping, and my, I just I feel so bad about this. Well, for you, revelation helps you to be realistic that the presence of sin remains. We haven't been set free from that yet, but you will. And the more that you learn to live by the Spirit and walk in His ways, the more you will have hope that one day sin's presence will be removed from you for good. Got a lot to look forward to. So Revelation teaches young people to obey the commands of God and to receive the love of God. It also teaches young people to wait on the grace of God. Revelation teaches young people to wait on the grace of God. When my kids were little and I would take them to the doctor, I would prepare them. Uh, I think it's wise to do this as a parent. You don't want to be springing the whole shot thing on your kids. I'd tell them ahead of time. 
I just thought it was fair to my kids to be realistic. I'm not going to lie to them. Hey, we're going to the doctor. You're going to get a shot. Is it going to hurt? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit. It won't be that bad. Not as bad as you think. And we're going to get ice cream after. <laughs> so yes, it's going to hurt, but that's not all that's true because there's ice cream after. Knowing what's coming helped them to face the trial of getting a shot. Yeah, it's going to hurt, but it won't, be, it won't hurt for long, and there's ice cream. So right as that needle's coming out, hey, ice cream. <laughs> Think about the ice cream, right? It helps to know what's coming. Doesn't it help us to be prepared? So the book of Revelation does that. It teaches us to wait on the grace of God. Look at verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and partner, okay, I, John, your brother and partner, brother, brother and partner, brother and partner. This guy was an apostle. This guy saw Jesus transfigured. He could have, like, I don't know, taken some titles or something on there. No, he's just, I'm your brother. How humble is that? I just love that point. He says, I am your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. <laughs> Three main ideas here. There is a tribulation. All right, that's like the shot part, okay? Tribulation is a big word. It means trial. It means suffering. But it means like bad suffering. It's more than just getting a little shot in the arm. Tribulation is prolonged, extensive, painful loss. Suffering hurts. But the ice cream part, there is a kingdom. There is tribulation and there is a kingdom. There is a tribulation. There, this world that we live in is marked by tribulation. Revelation is very realistic, and we'll see that in other ways as we go through. This world that we live in is hard. It's wrecked by sin, and it's ravaged by an enemy. And so this world that we live in is hard. There are hard things. There is tribulation out there. But that's not all that's true. You get a shot, you get ice cream. There's tribulation, and there is a kingdom a kingdom means there's a king on the throne, and the king that is on the throne is good. And we'll learn more about that tomorrow morning. But there is a kingdom. There is a king who reigns. He looks over all things. He gives good gifts. He cares for his children. And he will, he will make things right. There is a tribulation, and there is a kingdom. And so, there is patient endurance. Kingdom, tribulation. And patient endurance. Because there is tribulation, endurance is required. But because there is a kingdom, patient endurance is possible. Okay? So, tribulation, look, this is the way the world is. There's no way out of it. Even if you moved up into the hills and hunkered down and you had some kind of sustainable, off-the-grid world, you know what? Seasonal allergies are up there. <laughs> Ticks are up there. Cancer might be up there. Bears are up there. You know what else? You're up there. How's that going to be for everybody else? There's a tribulation in the world. And so we need endurance. There's no way out of this. The only way out is through. It takes endurance. This world takes endurance. Don't give up. The message of Revelation is endure. Don't give up and endure with patience because there's a kingdom. And we catch glimpses of it all the time. We see God's sovereignty and God's power and God's nearness and God's care and his love around us all the time. 
And we're going to see some very specific examples of that as we work our way through Revelation this, this weekend. There is tribulation and there is kingdom and there is patient endurance. So Revelation sets our expectations for life in this world. It's so helpful to have our expectations set. Mike is a wise pastor and he chose Revelation because he wants you to be prepared. He wants you to be ready for what's coming. He is not going to hide from you. I am not going to hide from you. The book of Revelation is not going to hide from you the reality that this is a difficult world and there is a battle going on. And we are foot soldiers in that battle. And there's a lot of ways that young people that you can be learning patient endurance now. School, I think, is custom made for this. <laughs> maybe that's not what you want to hear. Some of you love school, but probably not all of you, or maybe even not many of you. Some like it, some don't. Maybe school is just hard for you. It's just hard to learn. Uh, learning is hard. There's no way around it. Maybe, you're, maybe it's more your social situation at school is hard. Maybe you feel like nobody talks to you, you feel alone. Maybe you have a temptation there to grumble and to complain. But maybe your problems are bigger than that. Maybe you or somebody in your family has a major health challenge. Or there's some kind of other ongoing trial that weighs heavily on you. Maybe you already know. Maybe as a, as a teenager, you already know that there's tribulation in this life. But do you know that there is a kingdom? And do you know about patient endurance? This is the comfort that Revelation can bring us. Because this is the way that things really are. And it teaches us to live well in light of the way things really are. The fact that we live in a world that requires patient endurance is a feature and not a bug. You know what I mean by that? Have you ever heard that term? It's a feature and not a bug. God made it this way. God designed it so that we would have the opportunity to trust Him, to look to Him, to lean on Him, to, to ask Him for strength and help. It means that the challenges that we have with health and relationships and school doesn't mean that something has gone wrong. I mean, it did. Sin entered the world. But after that, your life, it doesn't mean something has gone wrong with your life. God is using this to make you more and more like Christ. So, Revelation teaches young people to obey the commands of God, to receive the love of God, and to wait on the grace of God. It also teaches young people to worship the Son of God. And so if you're taking notes, this is the fourth and most important point. I said before, whatever else Revelation is about, it's about obedience. Well, and also, whatever else Revelation is about, it's about a lot of things, it is about the glory and the beauty and the power and the majesty and the greatness of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 12 through 16. There is this description that is, is hard to picture. Okay, now when we come across images like this in the book of Revelation, you should try hard to picture it. But there will be parts of it that don't work. You're like, this is on, it's like on two different planes. I don't understand how to make this fit together. That's okay. We should try to picture it because Revelation is meant to stretch our imaginations to the breaking point and beyond. And isn't that the way you want it, right? Like, what kind of God would he be if you could just picture everything about him? If you had it all tidied, oh yeah, I know what Jesus is like. I got this mental picture right there, you know, uh, robe and beard, sandals. Yeah, I got it, I got it, it's good. What, what, kind of, what kind of Savior would that be? What kind of God would that be? Of course, 
when John, John gets a vision of Jesus as he is, and he's like, dude, I don't even know how to describe this. <laughs> it's Look at how often he uses the word like. He's like, I'm just, I'm just grasping for anything in our world to compare it to. In the midst of the seven lampstands, verse 13, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe. Okay, that part I can kind of picture. With a golden sash around his chest. So far, so good. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. Okay. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. And his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his, all of a sudden, like we're getting, it gets really trippy. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. Stars are giant balls of fire. No, they're right here. I got it. I can't hold seven baseballs in my hand. No, try to picture this. Seven stars? What? And from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. It's his word. His word cuts. It divides between salvation and judgment, between sheep and goats, between those who follow the lamb and those who reject him to follow the lamb's enemies. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Well, if it's like the sun shining in full strength, then how did he see his eyes and the sword coming out of his mouth? I don't know. John doesn't bother explaining all this. It just it fits together somehow. The idea is that this picture of Jesus is greater, more majestic, more powerful than we could ever begin to imagine. And that's not all. Listen to how Jesus then describes himself. So if that wasn't enough for you, Look at verse 17. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I died. There is a... The died... The, the way this is written in the original language, the died part, it's very brief. It just happened. And I am alive forevermore. There's this great contrast. The death Jesus did, he died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose to life and lived forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. How do you get the keys of death and Hades? Well, you whip whoever had the keys to death and Hades before, and you take them from them. He has already, here at the very beginning of the book, he has already won the battle. The war that unfolds throughout this book. It's done. We already know the outcome. He's like, hey, here's the keys. This is the trophy. It's like that, but better. I'm pointing at the Aslan Scepter thing over here. It's like that, but a lot better. And he doesn't give them up. He's like Fuji. Once he gets it, he never lets go. We'll see. We'll see. John is piling up descriptions of Jesus' glory and his authority and his goodness and his beauty. I said at the beginning that Revelation is going to teach us that one of the weapons the enemy uses is to entice us, to draw us, to try to seduce us and lure us away. The vision of Christ that's here 
and throughout this book is so powerful. If you get this, if you look at this picture, if you see Jesus as He is and you understand what He has done, then there is no enticement in the world that could ever draw you away from a Savior like this. If you're not amazed by this, then you need to read it again. And if you're not amazed then, then you need to read it again. Revelation is a book to go over again and again to get it in you, to see the visions that are here. It is meant to captivate us. It is meant to blow our minds. It is meant to stretch us to the breaking point. It's meant to fill our minds with all kinds of new and broader and deeper ideas of who Jesus is and what He's like. And these pictures are so wild and fantastical because how could Jesus ever be contained by something that we could imagine? When the world entices us, these verses help us not to lose sight of the glory of Jesus Christ. We need to come back to this vision again and again to see the Lord Jesus Christ risen and reigning. We need this vision in our hearts and in our minds and in our tongue, our words, our actions. We need to soak in it. And as we do... I think we will be more and more like John in verse 17. When I saw him, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When I saw him, he was so great, so terrible, so majestic, so scary. I fell at his feet as though dead. But here is what's beautiful. Here's one of the most beautiful scenes in all the book of Revelation. I fell at his feet as though dead, but... Remember what comes next? But he laid his hand on me. John is scared out of his mind. He cannot even begin to understand what he's seeing. He falls at Jesus' feet as though dead, but he laid his hand on me. Jesus is close, that close. And Jesus cares. And he tells John, fear not. Because he loves him. And freedom from his sins by his blood. What a Savior. Young people, Jesus is close to you. And Jesus cares for you. And if you catch a vision of the glory in the beauty of Jesus Christ. If you fall at His feet as though dead, He will put His hand upon you and say, fear not. Because He loves you. And He has freed you from his, your sins by His blood. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a book. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for this book that teaches us about the way the world really is and how to live well in the world as it really is. God, we pray that you would expand our minds, blow our minds, shock us, surprise us, thrill us with what we read here in Revelation. Help us to see Jesus in a way that we fall down as though dead. And then help us to feel your hand upon us and to hear your voice saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, whom we love with all our hearts. Amen.
Steve, you can geek out all you want because that was awesome. <laughs> and uh, thank you for preaching God's word to us and making it so uh, relevant to where we are today. And I love that. Uh, revelation can feel like, I think people get intimidated by it and can feel like, well, I can't understand this and, and I can't comprehend this. And I just thought, I'm excited to study this. And I want to encourage you guys. Um, you know, I know a lot of times in the morning you guys get up and like to watch the sunrise. And I don't know why that happens in advance and no other time in your life. But I know it happens at advance sometimes. But it's exciting to be together and to hang out and to, and to get in your hammocks. And I just want to encourage you. I love what Mr. Whitaker said about we got to get this vision of Jesus into our hearts. We need to read it and read it again and read it again. And sometimes when we're reading our Bibles, we don't always know where to go, where to turn to. Let me just tell you, Revelation 1, just read it again in the morning and read these this vision of Jesus uh, in verse 14 and verse 15 and verse 16. And just think about all those descriptions of him. That would make a wonderful devotion for you in the morning. Just before breakfast, after breakfast, before we meet, just go through Revelation 1, read it together, encourage one another in it. So I'm excited to see all these visions in Revelation and what God has to teach us. So can we thank Mr. Whitaker for teaching us tonight? You've been listening to a conference given for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.